Well, hello there, folks. We ready for this week? Oof. I'm recording this Sunday night, by the way, as I always do. I always try to do these intros as fresh as possible. And all of you love the run-on sentence, Jeremy, so here you are. Wild week. Wild week last week. Probably wild week this week. What, what is a normal week, though? I mean, what is it just like you, you get the same sandwich? Like you, you have a yogurt, you get a yogurt, a little iced coffee or something? For some reason, it revolves around food with me. Who knows? Uh, yesterday was Father's Day and Juneteenth, and uh, my daughter made me a paper crown and gave me a Paw Patrol Father's Day card. By the way, I think Paw Patrol is trash, but I love my daughter, so therefore I like Paw Patrol. But she's, she's never even seen the show. I, I have no idea why she's so obsessed with those dogs. I guess I would be too. I mean, they are dogs. They fight crime. But they ain't no Scruff McGruff, Chicago, Illinois, 60652. You guys remember that? Scruff McGruff? Whatever. I might sound old. This week, I'm joined by Isaiah Lester. He's a television and film writer and recently wrapped the series Blackish on ABC. I love talking with writers. Because, man, they are open. They come out quick, and their stories are insane. And Isaiah's were just as crazy. We chat his life writing sketches and how he found his way into the entertainment industry, his love of a good jean short, we all love a good jean short, the awkwardness of wearing sports jerseys with players younger than ourselves, and we go deep on sneaker culture. By the way, he has a killer podcast called History of Heat with his brother, comedian and writer Yasser Lester, who's also been on the pod. And you'll hear us jump straight into that. All right? It's Blamo. I'm Jeremy Kirkland. Let's go. You and your brother are like literally perfect co-hosts. I mean. Oh, man. Yeah. (laughs) I'm serious. Because I mean, your brother's been on the show and stuff before, but like. I don't know if it's if it's a brother thing or just the fact that you guys are both like strong writers, but you're super quick on wherever the other person's going. Like, and it's it's hard. I mean, there's a reason why I don't have a co-host because I'm a fucking <laughs> clown. <laughs> so it's just like, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think it's probably just growing up, like how I think the one thing that makes us strong at it is that it's just been something. It's just been our dynamic four years you know yasser's very energetic Mm -hmm. he's got big energy and he's really i mean he will literally say whatever is on his mind it it doesn't matter if it's the weirdest thing uh anyone has ever said but i'm a little bit more i wouldn't say calculated but i think my my thoughts out a little bit more and i'm also i've never been afraid to be like dude, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know what I mean? And and he's never been afraid to do the same to me. So I think that it's really like, it really is that like, you know, that childhood dynamic. And I grew up as the middle child. So I always had to get my words in where I could get them in. And, you know, my sister is also a very big personality. And I would say I'm definitely the most muted out of the three of us. Are you the peacekeeper amongst? Fa- I'm I'm the middle child too. Oh, you're a middle like- child, man! Bless you, bless you. It's a hard <laughs> life out there for us. It truly is. Um, I think I am, and it's it's funny because I, I don't wear the hero cape as often. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. like there's something to be like. We all keep the peace a little bit, but I feel like there's more uh, there's more of a presentation when somebody else does it, and I kind of just do it like. 
I'm like, uh, what's her name? Jennifer Gardner and Alias. You know, oh, I would just sneak. It's a deep back. cut. It's a deep cut. Yeah, yeah. I would just sneak in there quietly and fix something, put a little band aid on it, and then I just slide out. And then all of a sudden, everyone's like, "Oh, this is fixed. I wonder who fixed it." It's like I did. <laughs> then I was just writing my journal in my room. Oh, <laughs> really? You were you were a journal dude? Well, I. You know what? I wasn't, but I wanted to be so badly. Like I wanted to be, especially like my teenage years. I wanted to be a guy who was just like, this is how I feel. And like, you know, and, uh, blog before blog. Exactly. I, yeah. I feel deeply and this place doesn't understand me and all that other stuff, but I couldn't keep up with it. I don't have, I didn't have the discipline to keep a journal. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's funny because I have, you know, and since I moved back, uh, back to like my hometown, I've gone through and like went to my parents' house and I found like old stuff I've written. And I was the king of a new journal. And then like writing a page or so, and it would be like, today at school, I did this, and this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to go rollerblading, and I'm going to get it, you know, yeah. and then it ends. And then yeah. it's like, you know, 50 blank pages, and then I find another one of the, of the same thing, you know, over and over again. Yeah, it's just like, I just had, I was definitely like a phase kid. I had that phase where I was like, and maybe it was like a little bit of uh, getting into writing in general. Right. But yeah, I definitely, it was the... The idea seemed really good to me, but the want to wasn't really there at the end of the day. You right. know, I wasn't going to be a, a a journal keeper as much as I, I desperately wanted to be that interesting. You know, what other stuff were you into at that time? What was I into? I was into I really loved music. I was really getting into movies and like uh, I, as odd as this sounds, I got into like reading scripts. When I found out they printed, like I go to Barnes and Noble and I found out they were printing screenplays. They usually do like any classic movie or mostly like the movies that were going to be nominated for awards that year. They would release the actual physical script. Is this still a thing? I It, it probably is. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't checked it. I haven't done this in a while. Yeah. But um, wow, that's what I was into. I would read those. I love sports. I would watch sports. I was really into college football in the time, especially being from the South. Yeah. So I was kind of obsessed with it. Um, I think that's about it. Like sports, sports and movies. That was, those are my two big interests. What were the movies that like, cause I, I feel like, especially now people will go and there are a bunch of movies in the nineties that I think when they came out were more or less duds. And now people have really revisited them and been like, Oh, this is like, one of the most pure, beautiful films in history. Like a lot of people like that with like Clifford, you know, like Charles Grodin and Martin Short. Oh, I love Clifford. Yeah, see? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love that movie. I've probably watched it, I mean, more times than I can even remember. I love that movie. It's great. Yeah. But I mean, like when Martin that came Short, out, like a bombed. little boy yeah. is just like, it is the, and he had that flute and like, it, it is just, uh, that movie I always loved. So, um, I don't know. It was like, it was like a combination of two things. It was like, I loved Adam Sandler movies, but I was also getting into Paul Thomas Anderson. Whoa. You know what I mean? And there was kind of like, we watched a lot of, uh, watched a lot of Kung Fu movies and, um, weird indie movies because I felt like, I feel like kind of like that early two thousands period mm -hmm. was like prime time for true, like emo indie films where it's just like, 
Yeah. This is just about a guy who likes a girl, and the guy's kind of fucked up, but the girl's more fucked up, and he <laughs> figures that out at the end, and that's kind of like the whole thing in the movie. Yeah, that was like Greenlight Project stuff, or yeah. whatever it was with like... Uh, ben um, Affleck. Yeah, Ben yeah, Affleck yeah. and Matt Damon. Everyone was all into Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, it, yeah. it was just that time. So I watched a lot of those movies, and um, I don't know. My brother worked at a kind of like a thrift store, except it was all for like was like records and CDs and books and in movies and he would uh let's say borrow these <laughs> movies and bring them home and we literally had this like uh kind of like this banister like this shelf really that ran from one into the base of the basement to the other it was very long and we just had DVDs all across there and then we started by the time I went to college it was like two almost two layers of them so my brother would just bring home movies or I'd go there and pick one or I'd go to Blockbuster and pick one. And we would just, I mean, that's how I killed my time. And uh, anytime, like, I feel like anytime my friends wanted like a chill night or whatever, my house was always the house because I had the most movies to pick from. And the problem was that with this is that like, I'm not a big house guest guy. I wasn't a big house guest guy then. I'm not a huge house guest guy now. The but, movie or the or the the <laughs> attitude? Uh, the attitude. The okay. movie. I like the movie more than I like having actual house guests. Fair. But, but um, so <laughs> uh, so we would just like that was kind of like the default. We'd all watch movies and stuff at my place. Um, and that's kind of what what I was into at the time. I was getting really into like uh, I was getting really into storytelling and how people told stories and how this person might tell a different story uh, than this person and how these two people might tell the same story, but in a totally different way. And it really started to spark my curiosity uh, for, I guess, the kind of work that I do. Yeah, because I was going to say, I mean, I feel like it's less common for people that, you know, are writing for TV or writing for like film and entertainment like you, like know that that's where they want to be at a younger age, you know? Yeah. I also, I think that it, like it in general, I feel like it's insane. I, I feel two ways about it because like one, I was extremely lucky. I, I kind of figured out what I was good at early and I figured out I had a true passion for it and I had a drive yeah. to like, okay, these are the things I want to achieve. This is what I want to do. I didn't necessarily know how long the process takes. I thought, you know, you're, you're Quentin Tarantino or you're, uh, Robert Townsend, and you walk into a bank, and you say, I want to make a movie, and they give you money to make the movie, and then you make the movie. That's not how it works at all. And on the other side, I kind of think it's insane to have that expectation of people, like to be like, oh, you're 17 years old and you knew what you wanted to do. And that's what all 17 year olds should know. Right, you know? right. Because you got to pick a school based on, you know, what you want to do and all that other stuff. Did you go to school? I did for a couple of years. I went to Auburn. Oh, and I, hell yeah. and I dropped out because I was like, because it's, it's weird. Like I said, I was a big college football fan. And then like, I remember after the first season, the dust kind of settled <laughs> the season, the season ended, the tailgaters yeah. left. And I was just in Alabama and I was just like, oh no, you know, <laughs> I've got to, I've got to remedy this. So I was there. I moved back home for like a year or two. And then I went to film school in Vancouver. Whoa. Um, yeah. That was like, you know, clearly one of the most important decisions I ever made, not only to just jump uh, kind of head first into the film business and trying to learn as much as I possibly could, but also to move that far away from home. 
was really pivotal. Uh, it was like, I always say like outside of, you know, getting married, it's the best decision I ever made in my life. It really changed the course of my life. What were the other things that were happening though that was there? I mean, is it, is it the fact that you're so far away from home that it's, it's, you, you have less things to rely on or is it more of just like you're surrounded by this, you're surrounded by other like-minded people, like kind of like New York in the sense that like everybody's like hustling hard and you're like, well, I guess I need to too, you know? Right. Um, I think for, there is some of that, the, um, being around like-minded people, I hadn't really done that yet. You know, I, I went to school in Atlanta or Marietta, Georgia, right outside of Atlanta. Yeah. And then I went to a college where a lot of people from Atlanta go to college for a kind of like that safety net. It was only like an hour and a half drive away from home. Mm -hmm. So I could go home at any time I wanted to. Um, and towards the end there, I did, I would go to class. I would leave because I just did. It was just, wasn't a fit for me. And then I would come back like the next time I, if I had class on uh tuesday and then thursday i would leave tuesday night and then come back on thursday morning and go to class and then leave for the weekend because i was just like over it but i think the most important thing for me was i finally got to be in a place where i didn't have any preconceived notions like i wasn't anybody's brother i wasn't you know mm. friends with so-and-so from this grade or so-and-so's little brother's best friend Nobody knew me there. And I and I felt like it was an opportunity to grow, you know, and kind of develop my own personality and really be myself for the first time. And I felt like at that time in my life, I really needed that because like I mentioned, I dropped out of school and especially I feel like especially in the South, that becomes your identity. You know, I go to Georgia and I go to Tennessee and I'm a Florida guy and oh. all that other stuff. And so like my friends would come home and I'd be like, I'm kind of just like at the time I was working at uh, an after school enrichment program that like helped kids learn through building Legos. Wait, why did you do that? How'd you get there? I mean, honestly, a woman, I didn't have a job. Okay. My mom's friend at church was like, if he needs a job, he can do this. He can do this. So I went. And at first, I kind of just like helped clean up the office, which was really funny because like the office was also a space where they would have children do these classes. So the chairs were really low to the ground and the mm -hmm. tables were really low to the ground. And I'm like a big guy and I would have to like sit there and like put together these Lego boxes <laughs> meticulously. And um, I started after that, they asked me if I wanted to start uh, running classes. So I had to like go through a whole like, you know, program through the mm -hmm. state and get like approved to teach. And so I started doing them. And it was just, you know, it was just my job and it was a way, it was the way I knew how to make money. And so I would, I would just do that. You know what I mean? And, but there's a different insight and, and I think a level of patience that you get from being around like little kids or, or like, like younger, oh, like yeah. younger kids, like, just like, you're like, wait, why is, why, why are you paying attention to this? You know, right. <laughs> yeah. Should I be paying attention to this? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And the, it, it is, it is a dis, it truly is a discipline. And it's really funny because, like, I remember seeing an interview with, like, the classes were huge. There were, like, 30 kids oh, wow. in, in some of them. And I remember watching a documentary or, like, a 2020 special or something about Octomom. Remember Octomom? <laughs> <laughs> I do remember Octomom. Is she okay? I hope she's okay. I hope so. I don't know. Uh, I just use this. I mean, the most I know about her is this antidote now. So, like, but she said something about how in her head she was always constantly counting children. Like she was always counting them like, oh, right, in, like right. in between, like in between thoughts, she was counting children. And that's like something I got really accustomed to doing. I'd be like, all right, you know, where's Bradley? 
okay, where's Sarah? And just like, you know, just making sure they were online. And it was fun, you know, for the most part, it was really fun. Sometimes it was stressful, but like, I enjoyed it, you know, um, it, it was just, it was just like, at the end of the day, I was just like, I, this cannot be the rest of my life. Like I have to mm. figure out what my next move is going to be. And, uh, I was living at home and my mom was like, you should try to go back to school, you know? And I was just like, the only way I'll go back to school is if I do like a film school, Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. And she had a boss that was Canadian and he was like, there's a really great film school in Vancouver, you know, it's downtown, all this other stuff. And I, it's, it was so weird because there was a college fair that weekend at the Gwinnett County convention center and the school I was looking at was going to be there talking to students. It was a weird coincidence. So I went and like there I was like, you know, 23 years old at a college fair, you know, amongst very, very much younger people. And it just felt like I was like, oh, my God, what am I doing? You know what I mean? I this this is so weird. But I met with the school and I talked to them and I, I was just like, OK, I think this one, this might be a cool fit. And um, I guess like six months later, I was on a plane going to Vancouver to, to live there. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> It, was your mom cool with it? I she, mean, obviously she was, but like how she was really cool with it because she lived in like when she was about that age, she moved to Japan on a whim and just lived there for like I want to say like two years. How did what? How do you get to Japan for? I, I I don't know. She like wanted she just wanted the experience. So her and a group of friends were like, let's move to Japan, and they moved to Japan. And did they, she speak Japanese? She doesn't anymore, but she was once. She was like she was once like pretty fluent in it. And she just picked it up. She said, like, no one sat, sat there and taught her. She just figured out, you know, through conversation what, what words meant for the most part. And she would yeah. communicate fine uh, over there. But she really loved it. So she was always kind of like a wild spirit where, you know, my brother and sister aren't that much like that. They they are, you know, Yasser, of course, took a big leap. He moved to Los Angeles when I was 19. You know what I mean? And he started his career out there. But my sister's always kind of been a, a homebody, very close to my mom. Like, my mom moved to L.A. to be closer to us. Um, and my sister followed her right out, you know? Mm-hmm. And But they never really took that big, big, big leap. Like, they're not big. Like, I'm a big international traveler, too. I, like, I love getting out of the country. And they're not quite like that. But I, that's something I definitely get from my mom. Mm. Because she's a big-time traveler. And she was like, look, I did this thing. I think it would be good for you too. And she was right, you know? Um, And it really kind of opened up. I just never saw a world outside of like pretty much like this grid of the South. And then I moved and I was just like, oh man, I might never go back. (laughs) Yeah, because I feel, I mean, I can definitely identify with that because like I grew up not in the South, but everyone thinks Missouri is the South. Right, right, right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, because I mean, I remember because I moved out here like 04 and, you know, people are like, oh, like, you know, oh, you you must be from the South or whatever. And because I think at least for me, a lot of the people, at least where I came from, people don't necessarily leave. Right. You, you're yes. there. You're a part of like some form, some form of community, church, uh, job, some sort of thing. And yes. everybody just stays there. And I, and I want to be like clear, like, I don't think there's ro- anything wrong with Absolutely that. Absolutely not. Yeah. But it, you become, there's a level of comfort that you don't realize is like being built up around you. In in some ways, it makes it more difficult to start to empathize with the rest of the world because you're like, that's not my experience. And everyone else around me has the exact same experience right. as me. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So- <laughs> yeah, that is so true. And like, you know, I have friends who did stay and I have and like I, like you said, like I never found I did have a period 
in my life when I was really struggling in the business where I did resent that a little bit. Yeah, like sure. Like re- resent the kind of the comfort that they had. Um, and then I got over it. I got over it and I was just like, this is just the life they've chosen. I have chosen a totally different life. My best friend is the same way. He went to school in Atlanta, went to college at Georgia State, bought a house in Marietta. He has a wife and a kid. And he lives a very great life. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And we just have very different lifestyles, but <laughs> it doesn't change anything, sure. you know? So I, I totally agree with that. I think that, like, it's whatever your flavor is. I just think that people need a little bit. It's like if everyone could have, like, a room springer from, like, their hometown, you know what I mean? Or And make a decision, like, this is what I want to do. Like, no, I don't want to move. I don't want to move to tempe you know what i mean and but you know i don't want to you know just go to top golf and all that other stuff i want to stay i want to stay home i want to stay home and i don't think there's anything wrong with that uh i think that like yeah like you said it's just a it's just like your choice and i for the longest time though didn't because of where i grew up i didn't believe that choice was real or i thought it was so i guess such a far-fetched idea to be like oh i want to work as a writer one day professionally that um and it was also a little bit motivated by people around me and like people being like, well, that's really risky. You know what I mean? I don't think you should do that. It's kind of risky. And you're like, there's nothing wrong with it being risky. But were those, so, you know, not, not to interrupt, but like, were, are those the people who didn't take the risk themselves? Because that, I, that shit always to this day, it makes me clench my fist when people are like, I don't know, that's a real tough thing. And I'm like, Coming from someone who's like, what is the challenge you had? You were frustrated about which car color to pick? Like, right. don't, don't at me right now. Right. Man. Like, yeah. You don't know what risk is. Right. <laughs> and no, it is. It's this weird, it's just a projection, you know? It's like, right. I didn't take this risk. I didn't do this thing I wanted to do because I was scared to do it. And I think yeah. you should also be scared to do the thing that you want to do. And it's like, well, yeah, it's scary, but, you know, it, you figure it out. And I, I guess that, I guess that's what I'm just trying to say is like, let people figure it out. It's like you're not going to end up in a ditch somewhere like, you know, a jazz musician addicted to heroin. If you move to New York City, it's like you're, you're just going to have to, like, pay a little bit more on rent and figure it out. Yeah. You know? I remember my dad was like, all right, well, you know, I'm excited for you. You're going to go to New York. You're going to figure out what kind of man you're going to be or whatever. He's like, you know, my advice to you. And I was like, what? 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 And I thought it's going to be like some heavy thing. Is He's like, make sure you walk with a purpose so you don't get mugged. And I was like. <laughs> <sighs> all right <laughs> see you around dad <laughs> that's hilarious i feel like if a mugger wants it back to bad enough he'll mug you if you're walking with a purpose anyway. <laughs> yeah he's yeah, walking yeah. with a purpose and that purpose is to mug you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so you're in vancouver you're you're like in school like were paths starting to open up for writing or were you like you know was the like the opus beginning that you're working on there or what well absolutely not because it was like <laughs> i thought so at the time but like i was a film school student i was right. making film school stuff and i didn't really you know as as much as i was learning how to tell a story i didn't really have i don't know i didn't have the maturity level to tell the stories i wanted to tell mm-hmm. i will say like i figured out like how long it takes to make something how hard it is to make something and how many people it takes to make something and like in terms of like production, right? in terms of production, in terms of coming up with an idea that is full and well-rounded and not like sometimes people have like, I have this idea for a thing. It's like, well, that's not an idea. That's a joke. You know what I mean? Like, oh. <laughs> and you know what I mean? Not like a joke, like, ha, but like, no, yeah, I know yeah, 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 exactly. It's just like, you know, it's, you that's know, that'd a be a, that'd be a really nice piece of dialogue, but I don't think that's a, or a scene, 
but I don't think that's an entire movie, you know? Right. Um, but it did make me, it got me hungry for it. And it got me hungry to really get better at what I, what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And from that level, I think that's, that's what really opened up for me. But in terms of opportunity, absolutely not. Like no <laughs> one cared. Like I remember coming home, I moved back home after I graduated and I was like, you know what? This student film I make, I might put it in Sundance. And I'm glad that I didn't because it it was it was fine. You know what I mean? It wasn't terrible, but it was like not Sundance worthy. But like that's the kind of says who says you says says people with eyes. I think. OK, you know, like, you know, I think that like I was just super excited about it. I, I was super proud of it because I'd made something and I wanted the whole world to see it. But again, I still had I still kind of had. In terms of making something, physically making something, I had the idea of how hard it was. But in terms of getting people to pay attention to you, I had no idea how hard that was going to be. Because that is the key at the end of the day, is that you can make a thing that you're super proud of, that you worked really hard on, that a lot of other people worked really hard on you. But like, if no nobody cares, then it's not going to get you anywhere. So I had to find a way in. And it was really comedy and writing jokes and, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to write sketches and, you know, trying to get the right people's eyes on me in a way that uh, could benefit my career. So, um, but it it took forever. You know what I mean? It took forever. And especially, you know, Yasser had success. um, I don't want to say early because he also worked for a very long time to get to where he was at but mm-hmm. then i come along and they're like oh you know i think at the beginning the general attitude was like oh this is this guy's brother you know what i mean oh. you're and like damn it of, i'm back in yeah, freaking high school exactly you know <laughs> and it wasn't it wasn't anything Asher was doing Asher would be like no you should check him out he's really good at what he does you know what i mean and i think that people didn't take it as seriously initially because it just looked like him trying to put his brother on you know what i mean yeah, especially in I think that there is an assumption of like nepotism within right. Hollywood in general. And it's some sometimes it may be true and other times it's it's not where it's like no that person is telling no it you know that's that dude's brother and he kind of sucks but he's in here anyway. Right, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. There's definitely both sides to that yeah. uh to that situation. So Um, I just felt like I just, for that reason, I had to be like even better than people expected. So you're like more driven because of you're trying to break this assumption. Yes, absolutely. Which only helped me out in the long run, you know? Um, but yeah, film school, it was a great, it was like a great experience and it was really fun. Like I said, I felt like I figured out more about myself and how to live alone. And Mm. I don't know, like that for that true freedom I felt of like. You know, there's no one around like you get to make your own decisions here. You don't have to make your decision based on anything else. That's the most I took away from it. Um, But like in terms of content, I I had fun. I made a lot of really (laughs) stupid stuff, but um, I I didn't have anything to put on the reel. You know, no one's one's gonna ask to see that. I mean, if if people want to see the reel, gladly show them. But like, it's not uh, it's not anything that's gonna, you know, blow anybody's mind. Were you ever doing like Channel 101 or Channel 102? Like, do you, do you remember what that thing was? No. Um, so like in New York and LA, like the whole premise of it, and a lot of it was like improv folks that were like kind of coming up through them from either the Magnet or Pit or UCB. Uh-huh. And you would make a, a video of some, some sort of short sketch style video. 
And then every, I don't know, month or two, everyone would, would, would meet and then there'd be like a presentation and everyone would watch everybody's sketches. And then the, the one, everyone more or less votes and then there's like kind of like a judge group of other comedy folks. And then if you win, you get to come back and be the presenter and, and like, you basically you you like get greenlit for like another episode. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, oh, like, I didn't even know about that. Yeah, the the dude who did Rick and Morty had launched his. It was like a Channel One Hundred One show, and I think the it was he got all these cease and desist because it was this is way before Cosby got canceled. But it was the show called House of Cosby's, <laughs> um, and it was like uh, a dude that had a cloning machine who cloned Bill Cosby's, and like he had like a bunch of Bill Cosby. Like, but anyway, it was a, a lot of. It was a good way, and a lot of people talked about this as like how to write, but also like to remove their ego from the writing because you're essentially rejected all day. Yes. You know, and you, you get some, you know, air quote feedback, but like you, you just poured your heart out on something, and people are like, that's cool. Um, yeah, but people didn't like it. Okay. So anyway, we're going to, and you're oh, just like, whoa. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's cool. I didn't know about that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's, if it's still around now, but a lot of, especially people I think that are kind of like around our age, they have talked about like as that being their, their sort of like their college, you know, per se of like, oh, I just learned how to, to, to not be so attached to everything I wrote and to just yes. write and write and write. Yeah. 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 There's, that's definitely a skill too. Like you can't, I was definitely one of those people for a long time. And I think also it's something in school that I learned too was just like, oh, these are literally just words. And <laughs> especially when you start, you know, working in TV, like things are like, you'll say something. And I've worked in late night before too. And late night is savage because like, what were the, what was the late night stuff you were doing? I, I worked on the tonight show. Oh, That's okay. The reason why I moved to New York. Um, but you'll do something and someone will be like, you know what? I really like that. We should make it. You know, it's going to be a big show tonight. We got Ariana Grande tonight. You know, <laughs> you're like, oh, cool. You know, everyone's going to be watching this one. So like you get, you know, there's kind of like three stages of, you know, there's a big meeting. You pitch it. There's a big meeting. The people laugh at it at the meeting. And then you're like, okay, we're going to try to build this sketch out. Right. And then you're working on the sketch and then it gets to rehearsal and then rehearsal. If it goes well with the rehearsal audience. Then you're like, oh man, it's it's gonna happen. And then sometimes, sometimes, and this was the, always the heartbreaker, is that sometimes it be the that taping for that evening show, mm-hmm. and you'll do the sketch, and the sketch will air, and or the sketch will you know you know be shown to the audience, and they'll really enjoy it. And then you're like, oh man, I'm I I got to tell my wife to record tonight because I actually got something on air. And you get home, hit your DVR, and it's been. Oh. You know, you're just like, oh no! So like, because uh, they, they don't tell you that it's cut. You just find out it is. Oh, it I mean, if sometimes like that's the worst case scenario. But like nine times out of ten, by the rehearsal, you know if it's cut or not. Okay. So like sometimes things get cut right before rehearsal, and sometimes it's like you know the audience just does it. The rehearsal audience does not respond to it at all, and it gets cut. And you're just like, oh man, I worked all day on that. Is that and the that measurement done. of? of whether or not it gets cut is basically just the audience response mostly yeah yeah um and sometimes sometimes you you pitch something you know they're like okay we'll finish it because it's just a pitch like you have to write like a little script and all that other stuff and it just doesn't come together like you thought and so by like somebody will stop by and be like let me check out this script for this uh whatever this uber sketch you have and they'll (laughs) read it 
And they're like, ah, oh, this isn't coming to, oh, can we try this and that? You try it. And it just doesn't work out. And so it gets cut. And like, sometimes it's like, I'm glad that got cut because that was going to be bad, <laughs> you know? But um, yeah, for the most part, it was like right around the rehearsal. It was like before rehearsals, like, will we have time to put this in? Sometimes, like I worked there at a period of time where Donald Trump was firing everybody like every other day. So sometimes it would be like, okay, we have this thing. And then Donald Trump would fire someone. It's like, we want to sketch about this now. Was this when he was president? When he was president. Right. Yes. Yeah. So it was like uh, 2017, 2018, I want to say. And he was firing somebody every single day. So like (laughs) it always shifted to like whatever the weird thing he did that day, we would then have to talk about. So like if you have a mini hoop basketball sketch, it's going to get cut, you know? Right, right. So. And that's stuff like you, you can't prepare for more or less because you don't know all these things are going to happen so it's like you show up and you have to be that nimble of uh, some sort of scenario versus you know something you might have been workshopping in your head for a week oh yeah and it's like you know and it to be fair like you stop thinking about it because the task they give you like you know you get the you get you know a list of the guests that are coming in that week and like Mm -hmm. musical performers and like oh we think we can get you know, uh, you know, Bill Hader to be on this one sketch. He wants to do a sketch or like the rock came and wanted to do like a bunch of sketches. So it's like, we have to write a bunch for the rock, you know, you're not even thinking about the news really, even though you're constantly getting like updates on like what's going on in the world. Cause you have to write jokes, you have to write sketches. You don't really think about it. Like, Oh, this is just what's happening. It's not going to change drastically, especially right before we tape. Right. And it's just right. like, Nope, it's going to, it can just happen anytime. Something weird can happen at any point and then your whole thing has changed like you don't you don't go in thinking like oh you know donald trump's gonna fire the secretary of the state and we <laughs> we need to be i need to be prepared for that because that can happen any day now it's like you don't think about that sure. you're just trying to do whatever sketch you can for whoever is coming on right and so i mean that's got to be a very different muscle that you're that you're like learning of just like the speed at which you have to come up with content. Yeah. And I tell you what, it's like that thing where it's like running, you know, like it's like you run, you start running and like before, you know, like you're tired after a mile. Then before you know it, you can run that mile. Yeah. You get tired a mile and a half. And before you know, you can run it. And then the thing is, is that you, one day you stop running and then you try to run the (laughs) mile again and you're like, Oh, I can't do this anymore. I thought, how how did I do this? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And that's kind of what happened. It is. And it's a different muscle than like, you know, working on blackish has like been totally, was a totally different thing. You know, you have a lot more time, right? Yeah. You have more time. And it's just like, you're talking about what you want to talk about. The world does not dictate as much what you want what we want an episode to be about, you know? How did Blackish come? Because you, I mean, was it, did you literally just go from one to the other? No. So I was at the Tonight Show um, and they let me know. I I had had a contract renewal Mm -hmm. and they let me know that they weren't going to renew it again. Mm -hmm. And which was fine because I didn't find it to be sketch in monologue writing and all that stuff wasn't necessarily my fit nor was it i wasn't passionate about it either again mm-hmm. going back to the storytelling thing um and i got an opportunity to work on an animated series called duncanville oh my god yeah yeah so i was in the first season of duncanville which your brother is also into, yes right? yes yeah, yasser yeah. plays yangzi so we had some mutual like my old boss at making history knew the showrunners and said i would be i thought you'd be good for this yasser was like i'm reading for that it was just weird that was like one of those weird collision course jobs that we kind of got at the same time it was bizarre 
but also I could write for his voice. So it made sense to mm. who was hiring. So I interviewed for that. I was working on that for a while and I enjoyed it. It was fine. And I got word that Blackish was looking for a writer. Mm-hmm. And I was asked by my representation, would that be something I was interested in? And, you know, it, it was kind of too two sided. Like, I think TV, especially, it's like a long game, you know? And Duncanville was in year one at the time. They've made it to year three now, which is dope. Like, mm-hmm. I, I love everybody over there. And I, I, when I left, I wished them nothing but success. And I thought the show was great. But I didn't know if it was going to be back for a season two or not. Right, right. But Blackish, I knew, was an institution. And to be able to work on a show that I believe is an iconic show and know that I'd have another season, you know, if they gave me a three-year deal, then I was probably going to be there for three years, uh, was really enticing to me. So I had an interview with them Um you know, I took a long lunch break that day at Duncanville and <laughs> I, interviewed, I interviewed with Blackish and I just really hit it off with uh, the producers and the showrunner and uh, they thought I could contribute. And I kind of when I got there, I felt like at least I don't know if my boss feels this way, my old boss, but I felt like I hit the ground running and it was such a cool and uh, diverse and fun way to kind of write screenplays like we all just kind of hung out and told stories and like you know it would start with a weird thing my boss would say it's like anybody ever gotten a bad haircut or something like that and it would you know organically blossom into this thing that ended up being an episode you know or like interesting or like you know one of the episodes um is about um diane losing her and her best friend growing apart and that weekend, which my uh, one of the other showrunners uh, talked about her relationship with her best friend and how much it hurt when they stopped being friends. And I was going to a wedding in my hometown that weekend for the first time. I hadn't been home in like eight years. Mm-hmm. And I was going home and I was going to say, I, that's, I was like, that's the thing I'm really worried about is that I'm going to be with a bunch of people that I've not connected with for, for a while. And how is it going to be different? Right. And you start telling stories like that. And like before you know it, a story from your personal life is on display for the ABC audience. But, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's kind of how it always works for, for that show. And it was just a different kind of, uh, kind of, uh, story breaking that I had never really done before. Mm-hmm. And it made you like, I think my, the biggest thing I took away from that show is that it made me like a really honest writer. Like, I feel like, when you write, it's really easy because you're telling a story from your perspective or your experience. But if you're putting a piece of yourself in a character or a circumstance or whatever, it's really easy to, to scale it towards how you felt instead of looking at it, at it from the outside and being like, how were my, how did my actions affect these, these people in an honest way? Because when you brought up stories in that room, you were always called out. I'm like, but you did this, you know? And right. What about that? Like, you you know, and so you have to be, you have to be honest with yourself and being like, oh, I see why that person doesn't like me because maybe I didn't respond in the coolest way, even though they did this to me. You know what I mean? So I felt like um, for that reason, I really loved that job. Uh, I ha- I'll always, uh, from here on out, I'll always remember that job as a job that, you know, if, uh, Film school made me an adult. Blackish made me more of a grown up writer. You know, like I definitely grew up a bit at that job and, and found the honesty 
that I think it takes to make a good story. How much insight do you get into yourself, like, for your own sort of, like, I don't know, like, psychoanalyzing, you know, in the sense that, because it sounds like, especially with the show, like, Blackish, which, you know, um, I, I, I it, it hasn't totally finished, right? But they announced it's, it's, it's. Yes, it's ending very soon. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, um, they, like, a show like that, which is very much a life show and mm-hmm. and the sort of ups and downs of life and you know the, the things that happen with it and like you were saying are these a lot of these are stories that you know the writers and our people are experiencing you know at the same time and so like when you're able to look at some of these things in hindsight you know how much like free therapy ends up happening through that and to which you're like oh my god now that i'm writing this out i'm realizing like my behavior with like i need to make amends with some of these people right um <laughs> It, you know what's funny? It's like, I think for some people, it is that. I've been going to therapy for a very long time at this point. So <laughs> I, I, I kind of just like, it didn't really do that for me as much. Like, I, I, I guess the accountability factor is definitely there. I think it's just different because you go into therapy, I'm going to therapy being like, hey, I'm really stressed out about this. You sure. know, you kind of talk it out and work it out. But like, when you get to work, you don't know what you're going to talk about that day. So, you know, um. If you're starting, especially if you're starting like a new story and breaking a new story or even like pitching ideas for stories, um, you kind of never know where the conversation is going to go. I think it w- I think if anything, it made me more I realized more how how different people's experiences are. Mm. I think that's what did it for me. I think that in the and sometimes the stories you'd hear, you'd be like, I expect to hear that from you, but not you. You know what I mean? And like, you're right. just like, you just never know. It's like kind of cliche, but it's like you never know what's going on in somebody's life or what's happened to them. I think it was more that it it gave me that perspective on others. And the introspective stuff is like, I would say that's like being called out in the blackish room in a lot of therapy, you know, and being I being able to because I got called out on something or somebody did Mm -hmm. being able to identify where they are coming from and the truth that's being based in what they're saying is mostly a therapy thing and like learning how to listen with your, you know, listen with your heart and be open emotionally and stuff like that. Um, but it was, there was sometimes like, sometimes it, you know, it got a little sentimental. We did a whole episode about, uh, uh, pops junior and Dre opening up. They go to the woods and just have like, it's supposed to be like a man weekend. They're going to mm-hmm. be like chopping wood and having like a fire and stuff. It ends up being like the most emotional. It's the first episode where Dre hugs Junior, you right. know? So it's just about, it is about emotionally opening up and being vulnerable and talking about that stuff was tough. You know what I mean? And I think it, going back to the honesty thing, it's just, it really makes you, I don't know. It makes you consider your actions a little bit more. I did. I, my episode this year was about sneakers and, the sneaker resale business right, and the yeah, culture yeah. of sneakers. It was a great episode. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, initially the idea came from like, I don't know, one day I woke up and I always felt like I was justifying why I love sneakers so much. And I was just like, why can't I just like them? You know, why do I have to be like, oh, you know, I grew up with a single mom and I couldn't afford Jordans and all the rappers grew up, uh, okay. you know, all the rappers grew up wearing them and I love this rapper and I love this player. And it's just like, I just like them. And I think that's fine. Okay, so it's funny you mentioned this, and and like I I just jumped up in my chair as you started talking (laughs) about this. Like, there, I don't know what the socioeconomic background was for you, but Uh I grew up in a situation where 
we didn't have the money to do certain things. Right. And as I got older and I, and I started to find ways to earn the money, whether it was multiple jobs or I, I got a good job or something, you know, um, I felt that there is a level of apologetics that I had to apply to things that were materialistic that I realized could set me apart from my origin. Right. Right. And yeah. I'm curious, like, it sounds like a little bit like you're you were kind of working that process out with yourself in the sense that you're you're justifying why you like these sneakers because of this and this. Or like in some cases you feel that you don't have the right to own something unless you know a hundred percent about it, you know? Yes. <laughs> no, I totally I I mean you you said it perfectly. Like that's what it was. Like we, you know, my mom was a single mom and we like, if we were lucky, we got like one pair of really dope sneakers mm-hmm. in a year, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was always my thing. I remember I got my first, you know, my first riding job and I was like, oh man, I've got to buy these Jordan 6 Carmines. I always wanted them and worked so hard for oh, them. Oh yeah. And it was like you said, it was a level of like an apology I was making for myself or like even a defense of like, how could you spend X amount of dollars on these pair of sneakers? And yes. It's like, well, it's because I didn't have them growing yeah. up. And, you know, and I get really defensive about it. But it's like at the end of the day, it's just like it's just what I like. Yeah, it's just what I like. Totally fine. And it's totally fine that that's the case. But like, oh, yeah, for like, oh, yeah, you know, I got to I got to have this pair or like I got to have the, uh, you know, I got to get the authentic, you know, Kobe jersey with the stitched in (laughs) numbers in the in the old school, the Mitchell and Ness championship patch. And it's just like, you know, it's like, because, you know, I watched Kobe when I was a kid and he was like on this tiny TV. This, and bo- this was my life. And, and I'm reclaiming my adulthood it, from, from the tragedy it, and the trauma I experienced. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like, well, no, you just are a Lakers fan and you like this Mitchell and Ness jersey and you want it. And that's totally fine. Like no yeah. one ever, like my whole thing. And like when I was pitching that, we're talking about the idea. I was like, nobody ever asked anybody why they bought a yacht. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> I didn't get this and I exa- always wanted a exactly. yacht. Exactly. It's like, okay, why do you have four racehorses? You know what I mean? No one ever asked those kinds of questions of people of like, you know, a certain economic standing. Sure. So it is just, it, is, it was a thing that it was, it was my defense mechanism for, it was a justification of me making a purchase that seems ridiculous to somebody who is not into the thing that you're into. Yeah. And so I always had that ready being like, it's because of this, man. It means so much more to me than this person and it's who's wearing these this pair of Supreme Dunks or whatever. And it's like, it doesn't. You guys both want the shoes. You guys oh, both man. think the shoes are great. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. And that's the bottom line. And there's a weird. There's a lot of like sneaker entitlement out there. Where some, where <laughs> what, a, what a phrase. Where like, you know, well, somebody will like a shoe will sell out really quickly, and they're mm-hmm. like, man, I really wanted these Virgils. Man, I was up at five. I've been following Virgil forever. You yeah. know, and uh, this this motherfucker got this. yeah. And it's like, and this person who doesn't even know, and it's like, it's because. Virgil is a you know was a genius designer yeah and people look at his stuff and they go I want that yeah you know yeah. what I mean so like yes other people are gonna want it no one cares that you know the most about air prestos or whatever the shoe is they're gonna buy it if they want it and that's the game oh my god I feel so seen like <laughs> yeah I mean because that's that's always been my attitude. And this is, you know, I'm not even, I'm going to try to not get emotional with this stuff, but it's like, I have felt like I don't deserve any of these things. Yeah. And so I need to be the expert when I get it. Yeah. So that way I can explain to someone who thinks I don't deserve it. 
and you're you're at least for me i'm i'm a lot of times i'm more focused on the optics of me having something yes versus just like do i really want it and and just the joy of of having it like you i don't need to you know explain to someone why i own this or try to you know right. you it, it, you can just exist like yeah yeah no and that's that's exactly it and that, i'm sure that had a lot to do with why i know so much about sneakers as well i never really thought about it like that <laughs> but it's very accurate like yeah. you have you have this you have this language that you can use to someone and they can be like oh that guy's really into whatever he's really into sneakers so like yeah. That's why does he, he have so many pairs of shoes? Right. Oh, he knows a lot about them. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, that, yeah, that explains exactly, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he knows everything about them. So like, but I, I had, honestly, I had this whole, this kind of like coming to Jesus way too late. It was like last year where I was just like, dude, you don't know, you don't need to go after every pair. You Uh-oh. know, there are. How many pairs do you have? Oh man. You know, I actually just got rid of like, I think I just got rid of like 12 pairs last week. I have about. I think I have about 40 in New York and then my mom, <laughs> because I moved from LA uh, and I didn't have a place to put my shoes. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and so my mom just has like three boxes of my sneakers and like, I'm talking about not like shoe boxes, yeah, like real th- boxes. Yeah. So I think there's about, I think I probably have a, a little bit over 60 pairs of shoes. Okay. That's not as bad as I thought. This yeah. isn't like, oh, I, I'm building a custom California closets, you know, of all the sliding of the shoes and <laughs> I, I it is a space thing i will yeah. say that if i had more space i would own more shoes mm-hmm. um we already take like my entire loft uh in my apartment is nothing but sneakers so um if i had more space i would definitely have more there but it also got to a point where i was just like i don't really wear these you know yeah. like i like these at the time i was just kind of like i missed out on this drop so i just did this this yep, the fomo drop yeah the yep. fomo drop so <laughs> but there was a point a few years ago where i was close to about 100 oh my but i went i sold a lot of them i donate i like to i like to donate good pairs of sneakers that i don't think people would find or get donated like i, I that I, is the greatest like most generous like amazing flex of all time and yeah like, that happened to me at one point i was on flow team with a friend uh, who was at Nike. And do you remember when it was like all the all-star packs, the galaxy packs and everything? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had gotten all the the galaxy, like the, the KDs, yeah. the, the Kobe's and the and the LeBron's and all the stuff. And it was, you know, and then like the foam posit galaxy. The foam posits. Yeah. And I at the time was basically just a Jordan 3 white cement. That was it. it yeah. That was my I was just like, I don't need so I had all this stuff and I remember and in my neighborhood, and I want to be very clear, like I, I wasn't some sort of like fucking white savior guy. But in my neighborhood, <laughs> yeah. I saw this kid always getting messed with, right? And like made fun of by other kids because he didn't have dope shoes, right? And one day I was walking by, and at the time my wife was like, you know, like you have so many shoes in this closet, like can you just get rid of some of this stuff? And I walk by and I see him, and I'm like, hey man, what's your shoe size? And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm 10 and a half. And I was like, wait here, yeah. And I just was like, boom, and just like yeah, gave all these. Great. And in a weird way, I feel like I did that more for me than him, which, but I'm like, you know what? I just did it. Forget it. But it's like, it's the greatest feeling to just like lace some random person out with just like all heat. Oh yeah. It's the best. It's the best. (laughs) And I just think it's like, you know, you know, growing up, like I said, we were like, before we had Jordans once a year, we were like very, you know, very poor. You know what I mean? And I just remember having to go to a thrift stores or getting free clothes. 
uh, from donations and stuff like that, and the stuff always sucked. <laughs> so it's like you want me to go to sh- you want me to go to school in this? You know what I mean? Mom. There's only there's only so many like Bugs Bunny Tasmanian Devil with the hat backwards on shirts that. How I many of those own. shirts have you bought since? Zero. Okay. I, I don't own. I don't. Own, I do get nostalgic every single time I see them. when I see they're they're bringing them back the a little cross. bit. The yeah, crisscross. Yeah, the crisscross look. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I, I just every once in a while, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to find a place that like, whether it's to like high school kids or mm-hmm. veterans or whatever it is, I find it, I find a spot and I'm like, yo, I have all these sneakers. You can just take them. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to wear these anymore. And they come and pick them up and people are, people are happy, you yeah. know? So, um, I, I just try to make, cause like, you know, and like reselling them is just like such a pain, especially when they're used. Cause people are like, that's you know, the thing is, is used stuff. If you, if you got new things and you never wore it and you want to resell it, fine. But yeah, it's, I don't yeah. know any place where selling used specifically sneakers yeah, is it's hard. Yeah. You got to do it. You know, I, I, and I've had to do it. You got to do it mostly like you can do it on Poshmark and stuff like that, but it takes a while. You have to, the most success, and this is where it gets dangerous, <laughs> the most success I've ever had is on Craigslist. I posted either a bunch of sneakers at once, or I'll go through and go to like the want to buy, and people will be like, I want size 12 shoes or 11 and a half. So I email that person, I go, I've got 10 pairs, I'll give you a cut price for them. I just want them out of my house. And they'll come pick them up. Um, but I've stopped doing that. I didn't never had a bad experience, but I'm like, I could, I'm due for a really bad experience. <laughs> I if, I don't, if I don't stop now, it's going to happen to me. So I've had the most success there. Um, there used to be like, like Facebook marketplace was an mm-hmm. okay place to mm-hmm. go mm-hmm. to sell used ones, but it's just too hard. People are so picky about like, they're like, Oh no, this isn't the quality you said. And it's just like, I sent pictures of everything. I and everyone thinks that <laughs> and everyone online always thinks that they're trying you're trying to screw them over. Yeah, right? Yeah, and you're just like, "No, man, I swear this is a this is totally fine. It's a yeah. really good deal." Why is this to, this cheap? Or, yeah, it's yeah. Just like I want them out of my house, you yeah. know what I mean? So is the box damaged? Yeah, it's like it is, you know. It's used, you know? It's a cardboard box. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a cardboard box. It's dented. Yeah. So um I those are the places I've had the most luck but like now i i i don't know i just i just kind of give most of them away if i can unless i have something that's like i don't really sell any of my really rare stuff i i keep i hold on to that kind of stuff forever but like like what's the really rare stuff the really rare stuff can you flex for a minute here i'll flex for a minute here (laughs) uh anyone of i have a pair of all the off-white the 10 oh wow except for i don't have the only ones i don't have right now i don't have an air max 90 and i don't have the hyper dunk but the rest i have i have the translucent you have all the to be honest all the the most desired ones then yeah 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 i have the the translucent converse all-star highs the jordan ones um the white vapor maxes the black and white unwarned no, I wear them. I oh, wear okay. all. I wear all my Good shoes. Good for you. Yeah, I wear all my shoes. But yeah, I've got. I've got all those. I got. I was lucky enough. Um, before they came out, Nike gifted me a pair of the Watherspoons. Oh uh, Like yeah. a month before they came out, the Air Max ones, the multi, the yeah, rainbow ones, the, the Air Max, the ninety-seven slash ones. Yeah, that was like the corduroy multiple color. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I I uh, hold those in very high esteem in my collection. Um. I'm trying to think of what else is like really, those are like my real true bangers. I mean, because uh, I think you just listed a little over maybe less than less than 15K. 
of of shoes just with some of those oh yeah and like the vapor fly the 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 off-white vapor flies i have two of the off-white uh you know how they did that random uh top those 50 pairs of dunks oh yeah yeah yeah. i have two pairs of those i have a pair of the university dunks that came out before that um do you have the mars yards i don't have the mars yards Uh the mars yards are one no it's okay (laughs) the mars yards are one that uh the og mars yards are one that i really i really want I got the ones with the overshoe, but I ended up selling them because I was just like, I don't know how to wear these. Well, you know, people... They were... cut them off. <laughs> yeah. So I thought about that and I was just like, would this feel the same to me? But um, I don't know. That's a very coveted pair uh, for me still. I need to get I need to get those. I think as of as of this recording, the Mars Yards are like six or $7,000 now. Oh, yeah. They're, um, they're, they're crazy expensive. I think that's for the 2.0s. I think the 1.0s are like over 10 grand. Oh, yeah. Okay. The 1.0s are $14,000. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's insane. It's insane. They're so expensive. Um, but I, I, I love those shoes. I really want those. Um, and like, I, that's a kind of like what I'm kind of committed to this year. It's like, I'll pick up new stuff a, as it comes along, but I'm kind of like chasing some grail pairs. Like, Another pair I really want is are the uh, the Jordan One Shattered Backboards. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. it's a pair that is one of those things where I'm like, I had, I was like, it was in a good price range for me, and I mm-hmm. was just like, I think I'm gonna buy them, and then I ended up buying something else. Um, and then they shot up, they shot up like thousands of dollars, like over a course of a couple of summers. So I'm trying to come back around. I'm hopefully that the market will die down a little bit, and I can come back around to those. But uh, those for sure, uh, Kobe's, I pretty much have most pairs that I wanted. Well, and I now have, Kobe's are coming back, right? Yeah, they're they coming just, back finally. Yeah. And, you know, the price shot up for those for a very, very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was happy to have the pairs that I had. Um, Travis Scott's, I've oh, actually yeah. been really lucky with Travis Scott's. I have hit on... You've gotten all of them on StockX. I mean, yeah. Or, or sorry, not on StockX, on uh, sneakers. Yeah, I've hit all of them on retail. Yeah. I hit all of them on retail, which is insane. But that being said, it's like that sneaker luck thing where, yeah. like, I had a really hot run. I was, like, killing it. I was getting Travis Scott's left and right. And then I just, my luck just died for, like, a year. <laughs> I couldn't get, I couldn't win any, I couldn't get on any drop. I couldn't win anything. But uh, if it, I was like, I'm glad it happened with those, though, because I really do love all those shoes. Do you have any a shoe or anything that you tie to like different sort of like incremental levels of success that you've had? Where like, oh, this is my Tonight Show. This is my Blackish. This is, you know, or do you even think like that? Yeah, I do. I, I, I get sentimental and I'm like there's emotional detachments to most of my mm-hmm. sneakers and like especially like the bigger drops. Like I always remember. <laughs> I always remember where I was when I got them <laughs> and stuff like that. And I can remember like uh, I wore the Atmos uh, Air Max one animal print, multi-animal print. Oh, yeah. My first day at the Tonight the Show. Pack. The Safari Pack. Yeah. Uh, first day at the Tonight Show. I can remember. They they reissued that, right? Did you yes, the they first did. One? Yeah, yeah. They did. I have the first one. Yeah. Um, I remember. Uh, yeah, I remember getting a box from. Uh, uh, a reselling company uh, because they love my brother's sneaker so much. And I opened it up and it was like the undefeated Kobe pack. Both oh of yeah. Those, both of those shoes. Um, I remember hitting on my first pair of Yeezys, Yeezy clays. No, sorry. Beluga 2.0. 
and driving to uh, West Hollywood. I lived in I lived in North Hollywood. Driving to uh, West Hollywood, Santa Monica, to pick them up from the Adidas store. Oh my god! And I remember I had I had to size down, and I hit on them, and I put them on in the car. My wife was driving, and I put them on in the car, and I was like, they fit. I was so excited. <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, I, I have the shoe. I wore a pair of uh, uh, Flyknit Air Force One highs when I got married. I still have those shoes. Um, Do you remember the original Flyknits? Like the they were the runners, the, the Lunars, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, those. And because I remember that was like Panic at Twenty One Mercer, and then you saw like Kanye was wearing them, and then like other dudes yeah. were wearing them with like suits, and it was this sort of like. Like every type of person was looking for that shoe. Oh yeah, yeah. that was like it was like it's weird those these sneakers that have this weird moment in time. Yeah, like the Lunars are very much like that. Like there's a Supreme collab they did too mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that are still pretty hard to get, but those were like the hottest sneaker on the planet for a long time. Now I don't even think they make them anymore. One of my buddies is Supreme's footwear designer. Oh. And they're getting ready to do this really killer, like, Nike Shocks collab. Ooh. And yeah. they are, I think they, they should drop this year. Like, later, the Shocks. Later in the yeah, see, yeah. like, Shocks, well, like, I always feel like Supreme is really good for that, too. Like, they'll bring back a shoe, like, uh, not that, like, I, I don't, I don't like to speak ill of anyone, but <laughs> I, I know that, like, our, those Billie Eilish shoes, oh, yeah. I'm just like, first of all, like, if you're an adult, like, if you're a teenager, please, like, that's, that's. That is that generation shoe. Like, you, I should not see a thirty-five-year-old man walking around in Billie Eilish's sneaker. <laughs> I think that's the weirdest thing. But, but she picked. Oh, uh, I think it was like a Jordan fourteen or something, and she was just like, "I just wanted to do a shoe that people haven't done in a while." And I was just like, "There's that," and it just I guess there's that, and it didn't work. You know what I mean? It didn't no. play well. But Supreme, I think Supreme does this really well. Kith does it well with like Asics. Um, yeah. Where they, they'll find a shoe from the archive that was like, had this moment in time, and then they'll do a new thing with it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I always feel like Supreme is really, really good for that. Like they always have a fun, a weird fun shoe you didn't see coming with a collab, and you're like, oh, that's cool. And it ends up being dope. Yeah. What has been some of the other like clothes stuff that you've been going after? Clothes? Yeah. Oh man. Are you an Ame guy? Are you I'm an Ame guy? Yeah. I like I like I don't know. I I do a lot of like I try to look around for stuff that's like truly unique and speaks to me in a way that's really fun. Mm -hmm. Like I have like the stuff that I like Ami and like I've got the kith and I've got uh you know things like on that level um that are all like they they make very good stuff and like the streetwear side of it I gotta you know I'll get like palace or whatever oh yeah um but like i try to find stuff that's a little bit off the beaten path these days yeah like uh i've got a buddy who's a fashion designer who runs this company called lost days california Mm -hmm. um and they're kind of breaking out a little bit like you see a lot of like nba players and stuff wearing them now Oh, okay i saw like you know it's funny i saw like usher in a shirt recently i was like usher wearing uh lost days (laughs) but he was over at amiri for a very long time and then he started his own brand and it's like very uh sci-fi post-apocalyptic uh california if that makes sense okay um he has really good stuff. It's like really, really, really well made. Um, so I, I, especially like for resort wear, I, I wear a lot of that stuff. 
like uh, I, the sweater I'm wearing right now actually is Only in Y. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that's a killer sweater. Yeah, I love I love Only in Y. They're they actually are right around. I, I, I'm at um, I'm in the Lower East Side and I live very close to them, like right around the corner from their store. And it's something I kind of stumbled into. I just really like their stuff. Um, and then I'll just I'll just see stuff that I like and and kind of just cop it. And uh, I, I'm, I'm less bound to the label these days. I'm more great. I'm more yeah. into like a well-made something. Rowing blazers, very well-made stuff. You okay. know what I mean? Like uh I have I've got like a handful of uh sweaters and like rugby shirts from them. Um there's a company I actually really like called uh Sticky Baby NYC mm-hmm. and she makes just like really fun, comfortable, original. I this the jacket I have is actually from their um, original stuff, and I kind of just look like 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 this sh- like this jacket's just like a it's just kind of like a nylon bomber jacket, and it has in big letters on the back it says "Miss You Bad," you know. And I'm just like, I love that. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just like I, it, that's the kind of uh, like I said, I'm not really into brand as much anymore. I'm just like, is this cool? Like, is this dope? But yeah, in terms of what I'm wearing, like that's pretty. Those are like the brands I really like and. I like a nice, comfy sweatsuit, you know? It's short season coming up. Your yep. boy loves a pair of shorts. I know a lot of <laughs> men aren't into shorts. I what like your shorts. Short. Huh? What are your shorts? I have, uh, like, what kind of, like, what type of shorts do I wear? Or, like, like what, you know, your, it's short season. What, what shorts are you reaching for? Who what shorts? I, who makes them? I Actually, my favorite, I have these Chinatown Market, Market, they're now called Market. Yeah, yeah. Uh, market shorts um, that is, they're black and they have, like, they uh they often do a lot of stuff with like the polo bear with mm-hmm. them wearing and it's that polo bear like wearing a cardigan sweater but it's all rhinestone and it's like all different colored oh it's, that's wild that's like wild. right right by the like right by like the left uh like the left short left pant I like those um you, are you a mesh short guy are you like the Eric Emanuel stuff I like it I I don't know there's something about that kind of mesh like. There are mesh shorts that I like, but they're more like traditional. Like I have like the the Mirakami Complex Con Laker oh, wow. basketball shorts. You know, I okay. love I love those too. Um, and like that's more of the mesh I'm looking for. I just feel like I just feel like a, a mesh short that's that thin. If I leave it out, like if I'm in the sun too long, it's literally going to melt into my leg. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I just like that's my fear is that I'm just going to like touch my leg and then on my hand will be a remnant of my short because they're too, they're so thin. <laughs> Um, but I like wearing terry cloth, like a like a nice terry cloth short, basketball shorts, of course. Uh, uh, I have the Kim Jones. Kim Jones did a Nike collab like oh, two yeah. years ago with yeah, those I white those. those white striped ones. Still love those. I've somehow kept them clean. I wow. don't know how. Um, but that's what those are the kind of shorts that I'm rocking. Um, and you know the Georgia scuzzy guy in me, like I'll wear a pair of jean shorts. Don't tempt me. I'll wear a pair of jean shorts. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. No, I mean, I, I tried to make multiple versions of like cut off jean shorts and each, each, it was too short and then it was too long. 
and then it was two and I just couldn't make it work. And then my wife was just like, you're just ruining all your jeans. And I was just like, okay. Yeah. No, they're they're Yeah. I love a jean short, man. I love a good jort. Um, Cause I'm like, my wife is like, you know, she's like, you're wearing jean shorts again. And I'm like, they go with everything. <laughs> jean shorts. Like, yeah. The utility of this isn't, isn't unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> Do you do like the high tops with the shorts? I do do high tops. tops. I do do high tops with shorts. Uh, I like that look. A nice tube sock, nice bunch tube sock, a Jordan one, Mm -hmm. some shorts, a t-shirt, you know, it's some, that's me in the summer, man. That's how you can catch me in. What about like the fear of God kit, which is like the hoodie and the shorts? Ooh, I've, you know, I've got, it's weird because I've gotten a lot of sets like that. Like Mm -hmm. I have like some, some really good sweat sets like that but i can never find an appropriate place to wear them it's like do i wear do i wear this set on the beach like a windy beach yeah you know what i mean but like a malibu walking exactly like i don't understand like what i'm supposed to do with them so i always wear them separate like i wear the hoodie as a hoodie and i wear the shorts as shorts with like other stuff Mm -hmm. um so i do have them fear of god you know that stuff it's like i'm a big guy too and it's weird because the generation i grew up in like that that kind of 03 06 era everybody mm-hmm. especially in hip-hop was wearing everything way too big you know the suits were big yeah the jerseys were massive and i never really liked that look because i just felt like i was swimming in it and to have that much loose clothing as a bigger dude it just felt unnatural you know what i mean I, yeah i can understand that i think there's like anti-fit stuff isn't always that flattering on on any body type you know i, I, like, I absolutely I just don't get it yeah absolutely agree with that and i have a an essentials i got an essential sweater and i got a 2x which mm-hmm. is my usual size and i put it on and i was like this is crazy this looks like i'm wearing i'm wearing my dad's sweater and my dad was paul bunyan Ruh-ruh. you know <laughs> so it, it was just like it's crazy so like you know, some people do look good in it, and I'm like, more power to you. But like, I also again don't understand how you're wearing that sweater in those shorts in whatever setting we're in. Yeah, unless like you go to the airport and you change the shorts like while you're at the airport, or oh, into the hoodie, yeah. or, while, or while you're at the airport. It's a big climate control sort of yeah, flex. Exactly. You got everywhere I go, there's air conditioning, and it's just a little too cold. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but my legs need to breathe. You know, um, so it's kind of like that. Um, but yeah, I got sets, but I just don't like, I just don't wear them as that. I, I like a nice t-shirt. Mm-hmm. I love a basketball Jersey. Like I, I, it's sad. Like I'll wear a basketball Jersey to pretty much any occasion. I had to go to a dinner once in LA. And one thing is like, one thing I love about LA is that like the weather's good for almost any kind of clothing. Oh yeah. I wore a blazer. Like a, I had a kimono blazer. It kind of looked like a card. It kind of looks like a cardigan, but it's like a, it's a blazer. Um, and I had me and my brother made these like special model boys. Oh yeah. Jerseys. And so I put my Jersey on and, uh, that, that underneath blazer, the blazer, underneath the blazer, Ooh. underneath the blazer, put some jeans on and wore like a dope pair of sneakers. And I like went to Mastro's in that. And it's like one of my favorite fits. That's of all a time. good fit. Yeah. I love it. I love, like, I love a good basketball Jersey. Good soccer. Jersey's always good. Yeah. Especially if you can find some of the older ones. Which oh were, yeah. Like they, you know, because I got really into that movie Hackers, like, a ton. And, like, yeah. they all wore, like, goalie jerseys, right? So yes, there was, yes, yes. Like, little pads built into their jerseys. But it, it wasn't, 
you know, it wasn't like a full collar stuff that like that's all sort of nice when you look at like a Man U jersey or something. Yes. Now. Like, yeah. No, I, I, and that's why I, I, of course, there, there are now, which is great. There are now sites that like you can go specifically to buy old retro jerseys. Yeah. Yeah. And I am always on them because it's like, it's, it's fun because like you never know what's going to come in. Right. And you never know like what player they'll have. Like, I just saw, a, I need to see if it's still there, but I saw like an old, I, mean, I am an actually a Man United fan. And so I, I also have this rule with jerseys that I, I try. I don't know how long, much longer I can keep this up, <laughs> but I try not to buy jerseys of people that are younger than me. Oh, so, interesting. I feel kind of weird, you know? And it all started when the Lakers got Lonzo Ball. And I was like <laughs> 30. And I was like, he's 19. It feels weird to be wearing this 19-year-old's jersey. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm a grown man, you know? I never thought of it like that. But yeah, that's a good point. I would, I guess I would be somewhat uncomfortable yeah. wearing, yeah. It's, it's, you're it's, like, you're not my kid. Right, <laughs> you know? Like, you're wearing some, you're, you have like a Trevor Lawrence jersey, and you're like, he's 22 years old. What am I doing? <laughs> so th- those sites are really great for me because it's all players that I watched, you know. Give me a Tony know. Miola goalie, goalie jersey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or like, I like, I saw Paul Skull's jersey. Uh, on the website or they'll have like an old Wayne Rooney jersey and oh, I'm yeah. like I'm That's like cool. this is what I'm this is what I'm here for give me a David Beckham somebody I watched as a child yeah. or a younger yeah. person uh, that I rooted for who was that to me like a cool older person do you know what I mean yeah so like that kind of stuff is pivotal like I mentioned Mitchell, Mitchell and Ness but they are as well because I can get a, a throwback of pretty much any player I want on that mm-hmm. site um, do you ever go baseball jerseys oh yeah I'm a okay. Bra- I'm a Braves fan being from Atlanta yeah I actually got um, my father-in-law. Somebody gave him a bunch of. He was like, a, a, like, kind of back to the sneakers thing. Like, this guy's uh, wife was like, "Get these old jerseys out of my out of my garage." And he was like, "Oh, I know. I think they're kind of worth something." So he gave them to my father-in-law, and I went over there. Uh, I think it was last Christmas, and he let me. He was like, "If you help me sell these, I'll give you whatever you want out of them." Oh, and there was a Hank, old Hank Aaron, like from. It was a Hall of Fame jersey, so it was like the jersey. The jersey was current to the the Braves year, mm-hmm. but it has a special Hall of Fame patch for like the day they honored him getting into the Hall. Oh wow! And so I have an old Hank Aaron jersey that I wore pretty much during the whole last playoff run. Um, but yeah, I get into baseball, and like now some of those the guys I watched growing up, like they're coming around as retros, like the Andrew Jones and. Tom Glavin, John Smoltz. Glav- yeah, Smoltz. Yeah. I was going to say. Yeah, Smoltz he was, was my favorite. The pitcher. Yeah. yeah, he was my favorite. Beardy guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was awesome. So, like, those are starting to come around. So, I like, keep my eye out for him a little bit more. Uh huh. But yeah, I go baseball. I go hockey. I'll wear any. Like, oh. I, I like. Like I said, I like most sports. So, like, I'll wear. I'll wear jersey from almost any sport. Yeah. 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 I, I'm trying to think if there's any sport that like I won't wear a jersey from. I like I liked hockey in the '90s, and I think yeah. I just kind of I'm. It was maybe because I was more into like the video game or Mighty Ducks, and then I just kind of forgot about everything. <laughs> you know, it's like Mario Lemieux and like Brett Hall were like oh, the yeah. last like hockey dudes that I was like aware of. <laughs> we we had in Atlanta, we had the Thrashers for a very small period of time. Um, a very is there a team there now? No, damn, no, they got rid of them. But here's my thing: it's like. You'll have a team in Phoenix, Arizona, 
but you won't have one in Atlanta? Is there more of a hockey crowd in Phoenix? <laughs> That's a good point. I'm yeah, confused. With, that, with the Coyotes, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it's it's random, but like I'm really into like that's a throwback I really want. Is like an old. Uh, we had a, an all star player, Ilya Kovalchuk, who was really good. He was like the pride of the Atlanta Thrashers. And uh, my mom at her job, she got season tickets. Oh wow! And no one ever claimed them. It was like a thing. It's like if you want a ticket, put your name in. And, you know, the Braves tickets would go quickly. Mm-hmm. The Hawks tickets would kind of go. Falcons tickets would always go quickly, but nobody ever wanted the Thrashers tickets. So I would go to the Thrashers games, and I really got into that team. But, like, after that, I kind of fell out of love with hockey because it just wasn't in my face at all times. And it's like, I'm not going to search the channels for it. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, Where's the hockey game? Right, exactly. Like, uh, hello? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, well, before we wrap, I have a series of random questions Please. to ask you, because this has been amazing. Okay. If you were making a YouTube how-to video, what would the subject be? I would make one on how to secure an open middle seat on an airplane, like next to you, about 85% of the time. Oh. That's what I would do. That is a skill I picked up. I was traveling a lot between LA and New York, and I figured out like changing your seat, watching the aisles later bookings you have to watch my video to find out more but (laughs) (laughs) but um that's how i would that's what i would do i would share that gift with the world how (laughs) how to ensure that there is no one sitting next to you like and subscribe yeah Yeah. and hit the bell so you don't miss any (laughs) (laughs) um what's the last movie you saw the last movie i saw was house of gucci and um it was interesting wow you strike me as a very positive vibes only guy I'm not, um, but I, I, I'll say this, like I, like going back, I understand like it's hard to make something, but it was ridiculous. Like the movie was ridiculous. Uh, it, it was weird because you know, who did it was Ridley Scott, right? It was. And that like, I didn't know that until after it was over, I saw the credit and I was like, wait, what? That's weird. But you watch it and you're like, before I saw it, I talked to some friends and I was like, have you seen House of Gucci? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, to me, it looks like it's going to be, to be fair, I knew, I went in thinking it was going to be a disaster, but it was a disaster in a totally different way. Like, the way it was described to me is that, like, every character seems like they're in a different movie, and that's how it felt. Oh, that's like, a really the, good explanation. The, yeah. yeah, the levels are, the levels are crazy. I don't know what Lady Gaga's accent is. I think she's supposed <laughs> to be Italian, but she sounds Russian. There's really, there's a lot of plot holes in it. There's a lot of jumping back in time, and you don't yeah, know what yeah, time you're in. Yeah. And I'm like, well, he had long hair before, and then he had short hair. Now he has long hair again. Like, I don't understand what's happening. Yeah. Jared Leto, enough said there. <laughs> um, that's the last movie I saw was, was House of Gucci. It did not disappoint because I my expectations were appropriately. Do you uh, hate watch up. movies? I do all the time. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I hate watch TV. I hate watch movies. I think it's fun. And I think it's fun because especially when you work in uh, television or, or in film at any point, there's something about it's cool and inspiring to watch something that's very well made mm-hmm. and everything, but sometimes you just have to cave into the ridiculousness of it all. And I think watching movies like that give me a break from thinking about like, well, how can I make something that good? Or like, oh, uh, you know, or putting me in that mode of where like, you know, that as sad as it's in, like sometimes I don't want to be inspired. I just want to laugh. Yeah. You oh, know, yeah, absolutely. so I, I do do that because that's the reason I just like, I'm like, I want to see how, how much of a train wreck this is and just enjoy watching it. And those are the movies that I often watch like a second time. You like, know? yeah. Like what, what's a hate watch movie for you? 
Uh, hate watch. I guess other than House of Gucci. Other than House of Gucci, uh, the classic hate watch movie is The Room, of course. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, with Tommy Wiseau. Of course, that's like the number one classic hate watch movie. Um, there are, there's a movie that was like a, it was like a 90s movie about college football called The Program. Oh, I don't um, think I know that. It's about it's like it has like James Caan and Omar Epps. Oh wow! And it's like it's like not it's like very early nineties, and it's about like a uh, a dirty. It's essentially blue chips except for college football, <laughs> and there are no there are no athletes in it, and that almost makes it worse. Like you think like you watch blue chips and you're like, oh, this is Penny Hardaway, and clearly he's not like a polished actor, but you watch Omar Epps trying to like cut to the hole as a running back and you're oh, like boy. oh man this isn't great at all <laughs> so i also really like that film i think that comes to to mind first uh what is the last album you heard i feel like somebody put something out and i was just like i need to listen to this and i did was it big sean did he just drop an album i think he did make his I, his triumphant return i think that's what i listened to last I've been listening to like it's weird because like I'll find an album and I'll get stuck on it for months. Like I listened to I listened to Donda for like four months when it came out. You Whoa. know, I did not listen to Donda two because I didn't buy the stem player. I think it's like going to be up on streaming soon. But... It'll eventually cave. I mean, there's just too much money. Even though he's making a ton of money off of the stem player yeah. thing, I mean, yeah, it, it's ridiculous. It's crazy. So, but yeah, I listened to that for a very long time. And then I'll listen to, I don't know, I'll, I'll hear somebody has an album dropping. And like, I know that, I know Kendrick Lamar just announced that he's going to be putting out a new record yep. in May 13th. And that's, I'm looking forward to listening to that. I know that J. Cole just put an album. I'm not really a J. Cole guy, but I'll listen to it. New Pusha T is supposed to come out. New Pusha T is supposed to come out. Yeah. 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 Um, listen to that too. <laughs> uh, what's the last thing you bought online? I got a pair of the Concept Mellow air max ones oh, wow. i hit on a i hit on a raffle okay and i got those so you you go all in on all these raffles and stuff right i, I enter all of them if there if there's something i'm really interested in and it's funny because sometimes i'll be like i kind of want this and i'll enter the raffle and they'll be like you hit and i'm like oh i'm not coming to pick that up <laughs> <laughs> you know i'm not <laughs> i'm not going to columbus circle to pick that up yeah. <laughs> but yeah i enter all the raffles um i'm trying to think if there was a recent drop or anything that i like clothing wise that i bought online i don't think there has been anything i've kind of just been waiting for uh more spring summer drops this year to be coming out yeah and then the last question what is a movie or a book that when someone mentions you feel they understand you it would be a movie and the movie is punch drunk club oh mm -hmm. that's a deep pta that's deep PTA. also with sandler so that you know oh yeah those are the two worlds colliding right yeah, there yeah intersecting that <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah that's a great man i, I feel like because like did you like licorice pizza as an aside i did i i my thing with licorice pizza it didn't feel like a toy it didn't feel like a complete movie to me bingo the ending i'm like cool they're gonna go do this oh wait hold on wait why, why is the credits oh right wait. oh okay it was a series of like cool and fun scenes yeah but it didn't feel cohesive um and the ending like i like you said the ending really caught me off guard yeah um I enjoyed it. I don't think like it was like his best movie, but I enjoyed it because it was Paul Thomas Anderson. He's really good at what he does. What What do you think is the best PTA movie? Um, I think it's funny because I think the the best and my favorite are two different answers. I think the best PTA movie. I still think it's Boogie Nights. I think I think Boogie, a lot of people look at that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's like sure. it's between that and there will be blood for the best one. I think it's Boogie Nights. My favorite one is Magnolia. Mm. That's my favorite one. Do you cry in movies? Oh yeah, I cry at everything. 
I cry at commercials. Same. Yeah. I cry at songs. Same. You know. What's I, the last thing that made you cry? Um, I cried watching Blackish, actually. Oh, did you? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I, there was, uh, during our, it's funny because like some of us were at the final table read and some, I was, I was remote. So I was watching it, uh, streaming, but I cried during the last table read. Um, but no one saw it. So it was fine. <laughs> I was just in my home. Um, man, I, I've had, a, uh, I can't really go into detail now, but I've had some pretty cool career strides that I hit mm-hmm. that when something finally was wrapped up that I had been waiting to be wrapped up for a very long time, I, I burst into tears because I was just so, you think about your journey to getting to where you want to go and it just overwhelmed me emotionally and just sat there and cried for like, so it's probably like a couple weeks ago, I sat there and cried for like 15 minutes. It's just like poured out. Oh, wow. Me. The heavy cry. Yeah. It, you know, it was deep. It was just like, and every single time I thought I was, and I was just like, <laughs> and it's like, I got hit with another wave of it. Um, yeah, I cried like, I would. I watched Sing Two with my four year old, and I cried in the movie. Yeah. and I was like, "What the? F- why am I?" Crying? It's so healthy, though. <laughs> you know, it's so healthy. Like I remember this. I always reference this with like men and their emotions. But there's an episode of King of the Hill where Lady Bird dies, his dog, oh and my God. and instead of crying, Hank Hill literally just swallows his emotion. He goes and he like gulps it down, <laughs> and finally one day he just burst. And I'm like, you can't be Hank Hill. You can't just swallow it. Like you got to let it out. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, and Mike Judge. Wow. Yeah, great. Wow. Well, Isaiah, this was so, so good. Oh, Thank thanks, you so man. much. This was great. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, man. Bye. Thanks for listening. Another week in the books. Theme music, as always, by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. And if you like what you heard, you know the drill. Share the pod with a friend. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Leave a review somewhere. Tell your friend. Follow us on Instagram for all the hot content. If you want to talk to us and give us your hot take, we'd love to hear from you. You can call us at 917-267-2495. Which, by the way, a bunch of people started calling us lately. Uh, I said, you know, you can leave us a message. We'll put it in a future episode, so expect those. You're going to hear them soon. Uh, you can also email us, like a, like a normal person, at info at blamopod.com. And if you want to hang with us and join the Blam fam, visit patreon.com forward slash blamo, where we have tons of exclusive episodes and our amazing, incredible, wonderful, brilliant Slack community. Okay, I'll see you all soon.